Welcome to the Fishbowl, the podcast where I record conversations about business, entrepreneurship, and other valuable topics. The Fishbowl, episode 12. I'm here in downtown Pittsburgh sitting down with Sarah Macon. How are you doing today, Sarah? I am doing great. Thank you so much for asking. I'm really excited to have you here. Sarah Macon is a best-selling author with her book, From Depression to Joy. She's the host of Road to Ruin, The Journey of the Poppy, a local show about opioid addiction, and the owner of Macon Wellness. It's Pittsburgh's best and highest-rated therapy and coaching center. And, fun fact, she has great hair. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Now, it's awesome that this is actually episode 12, because, Sarah, what's this number mean to you? I love 12. I think it's such a funny number, and it's actually my favorite number. So, whenever he said it was episode 12, I was really excited. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm really excited to have you here. Sarah has quite the interesting story of facing adversity negativity, using that chip on her shoulder to really fuel her passion and motivation to do what she has now is something she's always dreamed about doing. Sarah, let's start at the beginning. Let's start at your childhood. I was joking with Sarah before uh, the interview in the pre-interview that typically she listens to people's childhood and life stories. But this time, we, the Fishbowl audience, get to hear about her. Tell me about uh, growing up here in the Pittsburgh area for you. Yeah, so I was born in Pittsburgh, and I was in East Liberty until um, until I was about like five years old, and then we moved to McCandless. Ever since I was a child, I've been so into helping people. Like I've always loved talking with people, and it was just something that just that just came so naturally to me. I just ended up being kind of like that go-to person for my school anytime people had problems or issues. They would come talk to me. They would call me. Seriously, get in so much trouble with my parents. They'd always say, you're talking on the phone too much, but they didn't realize like what I was doing and that like I was trying to help someone. And it just seemed like such a great fit for me to be a therapist because it was what I was doing anyways. So past just approachable she's absolutely magnetic so that's really how she treats her calling now uh, which is making wellness people literally come to her based on the value she provides so tell me about like your teenage years and how your first job in high school really laid the building blocks for what your vision now is yeah definitely so whenever i was in high school i had so much going on i was doing competitive cheerleading and competitive hip-hop trying to do the best i could in school and i was working at my first job i guess i was called like a busser technically but i just remember putting like my heart and soul into that job and just doing everything that i possibly could i was very reliable and You know, they would always call me when someone would call off or whenever some situation would come up. And I was always just doing the best that I could. And it was this job that really helped me realize um, that I need, not wanted, but I needed to start my own business. Um, Whenever I got older, it was about six months in, I asked them for a raise. You know, I've been working so hard. I've been doing everything that I could. 
And I remember management told me for this 10 cent raise, mind you, um, <laughs> that I do a great job and everything, but sometimes I get distracted. And because of that, they wouldn't be able to do that. And this just ticked me off so bad. I could not believe it. I was so hurt. I was so angry. I couldn't believe that after like, you know, I was bending over backwards for them doing everything I could that they would just deny me of something like this. And I was ticked off for quite, quite a bit. I think I only worked for two more weeks after that until (laughs) I had a little meltdown and quit. So that's kind of the story with that. It happens. (laughs) So moving forward, you really realize that working uh, at this chain restaurant Although you were very empathetic, you were trying to give as much value to this institution which was employing you, mm-hmm. really realized you wanted to do your own thing. Yeah. And that's whenever I knew I had to and that there was no way for me to kind of live the type of life that I wanted, you know, working for someone else. And I just I just learned at such a young age that moving on up in a corporation or in any type of organization just was not for me at all. After high school ended, you were always called towards going that route of being empathetic towards people, listening to people's problems, and being able to make, you know, a judgment on it, so to speak, uh, some advice, right? Yeah. Um, Tell me about your college experience. Where'd you go? Yeah. So I went to, initially, I went to a community college. I went to CCAC, and then I transferred to La Roche College, and I got, like, my bachelor's in psychology there and that was a I mean I was really boring in college I actually never even went to a co- an actual college party or any type what of, like yeah nothing I what just, did you like, do with your life I <laughs> I was studying and working and learning about like finances and exercising and I don't know I just wasn't too much into that type of life at that time. I just wanted to learn as much as I could. I read so much. I would watch Susie Orman on the weekends, like (laughs) learn about like what a Roth IRA is and like how to invest your money and all this ridiculous stuff. So, you know, I was doing that. You were grinding. Yeah. I was just, I was just doing my best to learn all of the right information. And that was something else that I realized at a pretty young age is to learn and to observe everything around you and apply what works and apply what you see is effective and let go of what isn't. So I was just on a huge learning journey and I still am. I think that's something that's so important as an entrepreneur is to always be teachable and always be open to learn new things. Because if you're open to learn and you're able to expand your mind, you'll be able to grow not only like yourself, but also your business as well. That's a really great thought mindset to have about that. You know, entrepreneurs will have all sorts of challenges come our way. The relationships we build along the way, there's always those relationships that can be learned from, right? People that have already gone through what you want to go through. So that's really awesome. What type of books did you read? I read mostly books about positive thinking and about business. I love Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, um, The Magic of Thinking Big, Think and Grow Rich, except I had an original manuscript, which is actually The Law of Success in 16 Lessons. How was that like compared to the published version? Oh, it's totally different. 
the law of success in 16 lessons has way more information than think and grow rich does it was a lot of really valuable content that was intentionally taken out why from, i've heard well, about the this story before. yes so this is what the story is i'm not sure if this is a thousand percent true or not but this is what my mentor told me and his mentor told him so essentially andrew carnegie which i'm obsessed with and i've been obsessed with ever since i was a kid which is another kind of weird thing about myself. Yeah, I love but <laughs> him too. You know, he came from poverty and ended up becoming the richest man in the world. And at the time, in the elite circles, and it's like that now, but it was much more prominent back then that the elite would only communicate with the elite. And it was very like, the division of class was a lot more profound than it is now. And it was a popular belief among the elite that success is genetic, but... I mean, Andrew Carnegie didn't come from like a rich family or anything, and he thought perhaps there might be some type of character traits or commonalities among very wealthy or very successful people. So he hired a guy named Napoleon Hill to follow him around, and essentially Napoleon Hill was mentored by Andrew Carnegie, and he introduced him to the most powerful people in the world. For about 25 years, he studied with him to see, like, is success genetic or is it something that certain uh, character traits? And after 25 years, Napoleon Hill said, yes, they have certain character traits and this is exactly what they are. The book was published and the elite circle went crazy. They were very upset and uh, demanded it to be taken off the market and a lot of the information taken out. Because essentially what this uh, book gave the general people accessed information that only the elite had at the time. So, and supposedly, it was commissioned by Henry Ford, and he was very, very upset whenever this happened. He was the one, supposedly, who made that happen multiple times. So now, Think and Grow Rich is a pretty popular book. However, uh, the majority of the really good information is taken out. So, Law of Success in 16 Lessons... So that's its own separate thing. Totally different. It's the original. Can you buy it still? You can buy it on Amazon. There's one specific publisher that has access to the 1925 manuscripts and just reprinted those unedited and not changed. That's the one that you'd want to read. Cool. I'm literally going to buy that right after this interview. Yeah. It's fascinating. (laughs) It's great. I get it as a gift for a lot of like my friends in business, actually. I remember I gave it to one of my friends. He's actually an author, uh, Mark Craven. And I... I've heard of him. Yeah. He's amazing. (laughs) I gave it to him as a gift the one day. And he's like, I don't know what's in here, but I feel the power just from touching this. I'm like, this is going to change your life. Wow. So what is Mark Craven known for? Oh, he's an author. He has two books out right now, and he's actually releasing a third one in August. Fascinating. Yeah. All right. So back onto your life, you've really developed yourself ever since those college days. Yeah. While other people were out partying, you were hitting the gym, really self-betterment. You were really uh, trying to gear up for whatever you know thing you want to do in the future yeah that, that's incredibly valuable for people my age uh, to be doing just spending every second they can working on themselves so in that way they are much more likely to go ahead and do positive things in the world right so, absolutely yeah so sarah what happened next in your life throughout this whole journey i feel like it's pretty important to mention that 
this was not something that was generally like approved of by people that I was around. A lot of people told me I couldn't do it. Had supervisors tell me that, you know, start up your own practices. Like you'll never be able to do that. Or like, you know, you're not cut out for that or you can't do it. I remember this one time this guy I was dating, his brother was working on getting his MBA and he literally sat me down for two hours and went step by step and showed me and like literally had calculations of everything of every reason why it's not going to work out and why I shouldn't waste my time on it. I was, you know, I'd go through periods of like being really excited and like know that I can do it. But then there was also some times where I had like doubt, you know, because I didn't at the time I didn't really like know anyone that was truly living out their dream or really doing what they wanted to do with their lives and you know it it was kind of like an ebb and flow of like believing in myself and knowing I can do it and then sometimes feeling like self-doubt but as I got older the periods of self-doubt decreased and the periods of like me believing in myself and everything kind of increased and I was eventually started to surround myself with totally different types of people and started to spend my time with people that like genuinely uplifted me and believed in me because they were also like, you know, living out their dream too. What sort of mindset shift did that bring about within you? The mindset shift from kind of being part of the routine, like nine to five to being a creator, like being a an entrepreneur was such a huge mentality shift um expanding your mind you know depth of vision and not seeing things for as they are but how they can be you know i think that's also such an important part is not you just living your life now but visualizing and seeing exactly how you want it to be it's not just for your life but also like your business like how do you want your business to be like how do you want it to grow and to not look at how things are in this moment but just visualize what it's going to be and I also got I want to say less sensitive but a lot more tough how did that happen I mean it was forced (laughs) (laughs) like you know I like I'm I put so much I used to put so much of myself like out there and that would kind of like with like time you start to like realize especially like in business because another thing I should have probably mentioned I worked in nonprofits before I started my practice. So the mentality of like working in a nonprofit versus being in the business world is completely different. And there are some sharks out there. There's like quite a lot. So there's definitely a lot of learning lessons whenever I first started, which I, I mean, I haven't been, we haven't been established for all that long. Um, in August, which is next month, it's going to be like our first year, like anniversaries. That's incredible. Are you excited? I'm so excited. <laughs> what are you guys doing for your one year anniversary? I don't know. You know what? I kind of wanted to have like an event or have something fun or like, you know, cool dinner or something. I'm, I'm not entirely sure yet, but it's something that I definitely have to start working on planning because it's happening in like a little over a month. It was June in 2017 that you were in New York City. Yeah. You had this feeling come over you. Tell me about that when you decided to make your business. Yeah. So I was in Times Square on a trip. And I just remember feeling so bewildered, looking at all the lights and seeing all these billboards and these huge, wildly successful companies and just taking it all in. I just kind of had this like message or download or whatever you'd like to call it of just, Sarah, look around. All these companies started with just a thought. And if they can do it, you can do it. And now's the time. And you got to make your practice happen now. No more waiting. It was that day 
I remember I was staying, I believe it's called the Alt Hotel. And I remember, you know, <laughs> being in my suite and looking at different office spaces right then and there. In and, Pittsburgh. Yeah. And well, actually, I first started looking for like New York City specifically. Then I was like, screw this. Like, this is way too expensive. I'm like, <laughs> okay, we'll start out in Pittsburgh. <laughs> it is expensive. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like way too much. I, I was not able to do it then at the time. But then I started looking at office spaces in Pittsburgh. I'm like, okay, if I can't do New York City, then I'm going to do downtown Pittsburgh. And that was something else that, you know, there wasn't, it was much more kind of like a feeling like this is where it needs to be. And then it ended up just like working out so well. So you found this building that we're in now. Yes. And that's like literally like, that's in downtown. Yeah. How is it like working downtown? Is there a certain energy that that brings? Yes. And that's actually why I wanted the first one to be downtown because whenever you're here, it's such a different environment. You have all these well put together professionals around. The energy is amazing. There's so many great places to eat. And the truth. Yeah. And I wanted it to be as like close to like New York City that I could get because that's where I really was like the told like it has to happen now. Incredible. So And yeah. you hope to expand to New York City one day? Yeah, I would love to. Absolutely. Incredible. Yeah. So wait, one step after the other, though. Yeah, of course. That's go as so far. Cool. Yeah, go as far as you can see, and when you get there, you'll see further. Now, um, amongst you getting to this point, you were talking about how you had a lot of haters, right? Oh my gosh, so many. They said that you couldn't do it, um, especially your boyfriend at the time's brother. Did you end up breaking up with that guy? Oh yeah, you, definitely, I did. <laughs> like, was it like right after that? Like, oh my gosh. No, it was actually. Maybe like a year after that. Yeah. I just, it's, you want to be around people who genuinely support you and uplift you. And I feel like I cannot say that enough because that makes the biggest difference in the world. Just cutting out the negative people in your life, I swear it'll help you grow your business. Fascinating. It brings you down. So you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. And your income is also the average of your five best friends too. So it's like oh. you also keep that in mind. Yeah, that's what my that's what my mentor told me. It's very good to know. Yeah. You told me about this awesome crab analogy. Yeah. How does that relate to you? Yeah. So I heard about this story one day whenever I was in grad school. It was during one of those moments where I was experiencing a bit of self doubt and I was talking with my about kind of like some some kind of like issues that I was having I was upset that like no one was supporting I felt like no one was supporting me and that people weren't seeing what I was seeing and um, he was in business for a bit and was extremely successful at a young age and was explained to me this like crab analogy where I guess whenever fishermen go fishing for crabs there's a big net that goes in the ocean and it goes in and swoops them all up there's normally one crab that tries to escape this net and does its best to escape a, what looks like an inevitable death. Most of the time, the crabs will work together to literally pull this crab down. And he was like, Sarah, you have to realize that's what's the reality of life and that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to not support you and try to bring you down and to not let that impact you just because someone's destiny 
or someone's life is set out to be one way doesn't mean it needs to affect yours or your dream. So that deeply impacted me for sure. And it's something I still think about. Incredible. Yeah. Is that analogy within your book? You know what? It's not, but maybe my next one I'll include it because that's a really good analogy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think it is too. I've never quite heard it like that. Yeah. Nowadays, you run making wellness. Yeah. So what type of clients do you try to appeal to? So we have lots of business owners that come in, a lot of executives and a lot of people in like really high stress jobs and some college students as well. Okay, cool. So that's pretty fitting, A, because of where your location is. Yeah. How do people tend to find uh, you guys? Um, since I've been, I mean, I've been working in the field since I was about like 17, 18. So Pittsburgh is such a small city. So, you know, a lot of word of mouth and we get a decent amount of like local publicity as well. So that helps a lot too. And, you know, we're very active on social media and um, we also have like an app as well, like the Make and Wellness app. So people find us through there. So people find that, find us through so many different ways, but I would say, majority of people find us from like word of mouth from like hearing about us or um from like local publicity that's awesome so yeah do you guys ever do any outbound marketing trying to get new clients in we did like a lot of like social media like ads and stuff like on instagram and on facebook how did those work out for you well i know they they could work out better and that i just needed to study it a little bit more because i just kind of jumped into it so I'm sure there's a good return on investment if they're used properly, but I don't think there is if there isn't, and I don't think I set them up in the best way, to be honest. It's a tough thing to do. It is. <laughs> I also uh, have tried my hand in those Facebook ads. They say the ROI is the best, but nonetheless, you really have to trial and error up until exactly. you get to something that works. But that's really cool. That's fascinating to me. So. Mostly word of mouth, which is the best publicity. Um, that really goes to show that you offer something, a, a good service, a good product. Because if not, people wouldn't be coming in. You have a philosophy around this. You were telling me in our pre-interview of growth and expansion. Yeah. What is it? The way that I view growth is if you're providing like a service or a product or something where the value is so high that people are not only like, they're not only paying that, but they're happy to pay that and they're happy to tell their friends about it. And then you'll end up growing from that way, from providing more value than what you ask for in return. So whenever I view expansion, I view it as, you know, we're providing a lot of value and it's something that's helpful and is actually positively impacting people that they're going out of their way to tell other people about it. So that's kind of my views on expansion is that you're providing a you're providing a lot of value. Incredible. That also goes with kind of your philosophy of attraction. You provide a certain amount of quality yeah. and then people just seem to flock. Yeah. I love that business philosophy. It's tough to develop that way because it requires so much back end work. Yeah. You've talked a lot about, you know, the emotions you've gone through while you're growing this, growing this. Yeah. But you haven't talked much about the 
incredible amount of hard work that you yeah. had to put in. I feel like that probably just comes inherently to you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, up until recently, I mean, it was seven days a week. A lot of days where I'm working like 12 hours a day, literally needing to take like naps in my offices to try to accommodate for all of our clients and for everyone coming in. And I mean, it was so much hard work. It was, I, I cannot even explain to you how much work has gone into this. Reaching out to people and networking and, you know, setting up the website and coming up with content and trying all these different things to like help get the word out. It was so much work. And um, I was getting to a place where I was starting to experience and see within myself like, oh my gosh, I'm starting to feel a little bit burnt out and I need to start taking it easy. Especially whenever you get to a place in business where you're actually able to like take it easy and actually can take a trip and, you know, take time off and, you know, things are set up in a way where your business is still operating while you're out of town and stuff, which is the ideal situation to like start to get to, you know, sooner rather than later. (laughs) That's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. So you're in this growth stage. Two questions for you. First off, when you were sleeping on this couch, how did you feel? I felt like I felt excited because I knew what I wanted and what my dreams were are in the process of happening. And I was so stoked to do that, honestly. That's incredible. Yeah. And, you know, even though I worked so much, it was so fueled by passion. It was so fueled by by passion that it didn't really feel like work. It felt like fun, you know. Because I genuinely like love what I do. I mean, most, I would say 99% of what I do, I I have so much fun throughout the day. Like I have like the pleasure of like talking with people and helping people and actually see them get better. And then I wish like, you know, we have to do a lot of like clinical documentation, which I wish like would like type itself up and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it is what it is and just like comes with the territory. Fascinating. So even at within what you're doing now, even at your lowest low you were still at a high yeah that's incredible that's really goes to show that you're on the right path with what you're doing and then my second question was you were talking about taking trips getting to that point of autonomy within your business yeah Uh, so how did you go upon hiring more employees first off it took me a really long time have the right mentality or genuinely happy people because just being in the presence of someone who feels good and for someone who's happy that can that in of itself can be a healing experience for some people and I truly and this is my opinion but I feel like the whole point of like therapy is to become happy and to heal from past wounds and become the best version of yourself and if you're talking with someone or like meeting with someone who's like genuinely not a happy person if they don't know how to be happy and they're not experiencing happiness how can they show you the path to to happiness it's like a dentist like i would never see a dentist with like bad teeth i would never take (laughs) i mean i wouldn't i would never take financial advice from someone who's broke like to know and not to do is not to know. So you want to make sure who you're talking to in every aspect knows what they're doing and has past success to like back it up. And that's also like a business and life thing to keep in mind. Like who do you listen to? Have what you want and have been where you are. At the end of the day, you ultimately like listen to yourself and what, what with what you feel is right. 
but you just like want to make sure that you're connecting with the right people. So that's why it took me so long and took me months to just bring on one clinician. I interviewed so many people. How many people did you interview? Probably like 10 after getting rid of a lot of resumes. I see. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. Sarah Macon, hard person to please. <laughs> but this is great. You said you just took a trip recently. How was it like leaving someone else as the clinician uh, in charge? Um. Well, I I have no problem with it now. My first trip that I went away for like for like a weekend, it was like a couple months ago, and I was so so concerned and I really wanted to make sure that the quality of care was high and everything was fine and then you know you just do your best to train whoever you have and they'll be able to like run the show you know while you're gone and I travel quite a bit now and it's it's always been a fine situation the people that you typically have coming in executives high stress people I'm curious what type of mindset do they have definitely a different mindset very unique a lot of kind of extremes is the biggest, like that's the biggest pattern that I noticed. Like, a lot of stress at work, a lot of pressure, but also whenever you have so much pressure, you have to let, let it out in some ways. And sometimes the ways that some people let out their steam, is like not the best for their health or not the best for their family or for their happiness. So just kind of like helping them channel that in a more productive way. I see. That's absolutely incredible. A lot of the people you see are sometimes in the burnout stage. Yes. So how do you help someone or what do you recommend for people who are just so tired of all the stresses that have, you know, that are burning out? So for someone who is close to being burnout or burnout, I would highly recommend do what you can to reschedule like your schedule overall so you can sleep more. So you can take some breaks throughout the day. If you can get outside, get some sun. Meditation can be really helpful because it's forcing your mind to relax. Whenever you're relaxed, you can kind of rejuvenate yourself a lot faster than if you're not. So taking it easy, working on thinking less negatively and eventually like more positively and like meditating can be so helpful. And Paul Santisi's meditations are the best you can listen to. Oh, great. I'll yeah. definitely take a look at that. Do you meditate every day? Yeah. Tell I me have about to. your meditation schedule. <laughs> I have to. You know, if I'm not happy, if I'm not feeling good, I have nothing to offer. Because it's like the work that I do, you know? <laughs> so a lot of times I'll meditate in the afternoon. I'll take like 15 minutes and like everyone knows to like not disrupt me while I'm meditating. Is it I here in the it. office? Yeah, I do cool. in my office. Yeah. Uh, I always use guided meditations. I only use Paul Santizzi's. He's actually one of my mentors. He is absolutely incredible. And I'll I'll do one in the afternoon. And then a lot of times I fall asleep listening to one. Um, what you think about right before you fall asleep is so important because the way, what you think and feel is going to show up again right whenever you wake up. So whenever you go to bed, you know, listening to meditation or like meditating you wake up and you feel so much better and you sleep a lot better. It's really lovely. Very good to know. I'm going to have yeah. to try that. You got to try it out and you'll be able to focus a lot better and you'll be able to achieve more too. Uh, it's honestly such an amazing tool. 
I think everyone needs to meditate, honestly. Paul Santisi, where can we find his stuff? You can find his stuff on iTunes, um, on YouTube, I believe Spotify. He has an app. It's called like the Paul Santisi Music Mastermind app where if you like to like listen to music with like more like positive energy or like positive words, he has that. And he's working on another project right now, a university where you can access a lot of different like meditation information and uh, different things like that. So cool. Yeah. You help in two certain ways, but there's also some supplements that you use as well. Mm -hmm. Tell me about cognitive therapy and thought field therapy. Yeah. So our treatment modalities that we use are all evidence-based, which means there's like research that just support all of them. And so the the two modalities we tend to use are cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT and thought field therapy. And essentially with cognitive behavioral therapy, we help people restructure their brain by changing their thoughts and they're helping them change their thinking patterns to become more positive. And then with thought field therapy that essentially uses acupuncture pressure points within your body while you're thinking about certain things to help alleviate your emotions associated with certain thoughts. So for instance, we tend to use that with a lot of like people who struggle with, with phobias or people who worry a lot or who feel very down or you know, this is another great thing for like breakups or any type of like trauma as well, because it's not necessarily the thought that or the event or the person that ca- causes the distress, but rather the emotion attached to it. And this helps kind of like separate the thought from the emotion. Fascinating. So are you the acupuncturist? Um, I guess so. Yes. <laughs> you stick needles in people? Well, it's not sticking needles. It, the client taps on different uh, acupuncture pressure points. No needles are used and they just tap themselves. Wow. To different parts of the body. Absolutely fascinating. Yeah. It's really incredible. And the outcomes for that are just out of this world. It's really great. So how do you know what someone's needs whenever they're telling you what they're experiencing right now how do you make that diagnosis i know you've had a ton of different classes and yeah. you've learned a lot about that you've studied a lot yeah but can you just tell me kind of the basics about that yeah well whenever you're diagnosing someone it's just their symptoms are in alignment with different ailments that's essentially what you go with as long as they meet criteria for different things but the treatment plans are all so individualized and it depends on what the person is looking for and what type of time commitment they want to put in and all that that type of thing. It's very individualized and very like client driven. I just will just offer different things that can help and then the client like ultimately chooses what they feel is best and then we go from there. Fascinating. I've noticed something for my productivity is to just change settings. Yeah. Tell me about the science behind that, if you can. About just getting your mind into a new place and how that changes your perception type thing? Yeah, and it literally changes my productivity. If I wanted to edit a podcast and I was in my house and I've been working at my house for the past week, it'll take me like three times as long to edit it and I'll get distracted three times as much versus going to a Starbucks, putting on my headphones and chugging, you know, chugging some coffee, going out there. 
Yeah, it's all about association. We associate different environments and different places with different things. So most people associate their homes with like relaxation, with taking it easy, with winding down. So it's normally not the best place for someone to be productive unless they have like an office that they only go and they work in there and then they leave like their office room within their home. Uh, normally studying or trying to get work done in your bedroom is not a good idea because you're just not in that mentality. So that's why people tend to be much more productive in the office environment or in a Starbucks or somewhere like that because they don't associate it with relaxation or taking it easy. They associate it with work and being productive. So your environment has such a powerful role on your productivity. And another thing is to keep it clutter-free if possible because that also distracts you subconsciously as well. So you want to, the ideal desk is to be completely cleared off whenever you like come in and to have posters and things behind you like your laptop and things behind you. So whenever you're focused on one thing or one project at a time, you're able to put all of your focus into it. Especially like words and like papers with a lot of words on them. Um, can be really overwhelming for us because our like some conscious minds are like trying to analyze all of it. You just don't consciously realize it, and that affects your focus. And another thing for increased focus and productivity is listening to binaural beats or baroque classical music because your mind will be in an alpha state where the left and right hemispheres of your brain are synchronized. So you absorb the information to your left hemisphere and right hemisphere. So if you're trying to learn something new or you're trying to read. That is the ideal thing. And then 20 minutes thinking, a couple minutes not thinking. That's the also an ideal learning and working state. So if you do all that, yeah, it'll help with your productivity. Baroque classical music. Yeah. I was told that if it ain't Baroque, don't fix it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you think that's funny. <laughs> I'm all about those dad jokes. I love it. <laughs> Awesome. So the treatment plans are so individualized yeah. for the different person because, but for some people, you sometimes even uh, prescribe medical marijuana. Yeah. Tell me about that. Okay. So right now we're in Pennsylvania. So what I'm going to talk about is for Pennsylvania specifically because every state has different laws around this, but um, we can diagnose people with PTSD or opioid use disorder. Of course, if they meet criteria, and those are the um, two of the, I believe there's 21 right now, qualifying conditions. So basically, the person will work on refraining from opioids or from working on their trauma in session with us and can also use medicinal marijuana as a tool to help cope as well. And it's been such a wonderful thing. We actually partner with Medical Marijuana Solutions in Pittsburgh and they do such an amazing job. You meet with their doctor and their um, nurse and are able to get your card that way. It's really such an amazing thing. We're all about natural and holistic treatment and we prefer natural route. I mean, sometimes, you know, there are times of course, whenever pharmacology like is great and can really help some people out. You know, some people really want to be put on an antidepressant or really want an anti-anxiety medication. That's what they're all about. They, That's what they prefer, and that's fine. We refer out for that as well. The majority of people that come see us really are more interested in our natural route. It's really great, and there's so much research supporting it. 
and I see the future of medicinal marijuana playing a much bigger role in like mental health care with some different diagnoses as well. And you do this for individuals with PTSD and opioid addiction mainly. You deal a lot with opioid addiction nowadays with your show Road to Ruin, which is what you are the host of. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, so Road to Ruin is um, a TV show about opioid addiction, kind of the history of the poppy plant, and it really conceptualizes um, opioid addiction in a very different way, in a very holistic way. Um, Every episode just kind of delves deeper and deeper, and we just aired the first episode like two weeks ago. Wow, I'm going to have to watch that. Yeah, it's amazing. It's really cool. It's, It's really unique. You know, there's no other show about addiction that talks about addiction the way that we address it. So it's really unique for sure. That's good to know. Uh, I watched this one show about addictions and it pretty much paints, you know, heroin addicts as monsters, right? You get to see them as in their worst, at their lowest, and they turn that into entertainment. Yeah, that's kind of like taking advantage of a really negative situation. You know, it's kind of like this like stigma for like what it looks like for someone who's like addicted to like heroin or addicted to different drugs. But there's like doctors and lawyers and successful people and people of all different walks of life that can succumb to the disease of addiction. I mean, we just heard like literally what, like yesterday, the day, day before about Demi Lovato being hospitalized for um, like overdosing on heroin. I had no clue about yeah. that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, that's what Instagram says. So let's, so I'm not entirely sure if that's true, but if it is true, I mean, it can like any, it can happen to anyone, literally. That's anyone. the truth. Wow. Yeah. Now, in addition to that, I'd love to hear what your vision for the future is. My vision for the future is just to continue to have a positive impact on our, in our community and to just expand and grow to be able to positively impact more and more people and to kind of spread awareness that there are natural ways of overcoming things and that doesn't last and... Incredible. And to eventually have an office in NYC. Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. Appreciated every second with you. Thank you for having me on. This is so much fun. (laughs) Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Alrighty, Fishbowl audience, thanks for listening.